Amen. You may be seated and turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, just go ahead and hold up your hand because I'll have our ushers bring you a Bible. We're actually going to follow along with us. If you need a Bible, just go ahead, hold up your hand. And uh, otherwise, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're picking up here in verse 4. We got through all of those first three verses last Sunday. How about that, eh? Yeah, very good. Good time. And so what we're looking at here is the purpose of salvation. We, we've been really, in, in, since the beginning of our study in First Peter, looking at this plan of salvation and, and all that God has done and different aspects of that. But here we move on and look at really the purpose of salvation that we've been looking at in chapter 2. And, and here's some of the points we've been seeing. Well, we just got into the first one last week. A purpose of our salvation is that we might grow, right? And, and then we're going to be seeing here today, starting in verse 4, how service is a part of our salvation. Stability, we find stability in and through Christ by our salvation. And then we're also called to be a witness. I mean, these are not a, uh, an exhaustive list again, but what we're seeing in our text here, of 1 Peter 2, here's some things that highlight for us as far as the, the purpose of our salvation. Now, look at verse 4 here. Well, again, verse 4 really kicks us off from where we've been looking at here let me let me read what we went through last week just to bring you up to speed here chapter 2 verse 1 says therefore laying aside all malice all deceit hypocrisy envy and all evil speaking as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby if indeed you have tasted that the lord is gracious and so again i'm just looking to have you follow along kind of in the flow of where Peter's been taking us here because chapter two begins with that therefore stemming from what we looked at in chapter one. Chapter one called, uh, we see that calling to be holy. Therefore, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct for it is written, be holy as I am holy. So we have this calling to be holy. And so if we're going to be holy, well, what do we need to do? We need to, as Peter says, lay aside, lay aside all sin. He highlights deceit, hypocrisy, envy. He highlights evil speaking. Why? Because these are things that that pertain to our relationships with other people. These are things that are going to get in the way of our relationships with other people. And Peter had said in chapter 1, verse 22, to do what? Love one another fervently, right? With a pure heart. And so if these things are all in the way and part of our lives, well, we're not going to be able to love one another fervently. So lay them aside because you you've been called to be holy. And we saw at the end of chapter 1 that we were born not with corruptible seed, but we've been born anew by the incorruptible seed of what? In the incorruptible seed of what? The word of God. Good thing I got props up here, right? Because you guys would be like crickets. It's all right. It's all right. It's the word of God. That's the incorruptible seed by which we're, we're born again. So that's why Peter says there as newborn babes. And if you're going to keep growing, well, you need to desire the pure milk of the word. It's the incorruptible word by which we're born again. So as newborn babes, keep desiring the pure milk of the word by which you're going to grow. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So this is where now in verse four, this is key because now Peter says coming to him. Or in other words, as you come to him, as you come to him, you're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. Keep coming to him. I think this is a wonderful invitation that is given to us here as believers, where Jesus wants us and desires us to come to him. Come to him and taste that he is good, that he is gracious, that he's loving, that he's kind, that there's, 
there's reason to keep growing in our salvation. He's got great things in store for us as we're going to see as we move through this word here today. So keep coming to him. And as you come to him, you're coming to him as a living stone. Now that's a little bit odd, I think. And when we hear that, we go, a, a living stone? Well, first of all, stones we don't think of as living. Stones we don't think of in that way. But Jesus is being referred to as that living stone. That's who Peter's talking about when he says, come to him. He's talking about Jesus and he is that living stone to us. Now, what are stones used for? Well, stones are used for a number of things, but they can be used for building, for stability, for strength, right? So that's the idea, the picture of this as we continue, we're gonna see all these things coming together. But first notice what Peter says. We're coming to him as to a living stone who was rejected indeed by men. You catch that there? Now that would have been, I think, super encouraging to the people that Peter's writing to. Because who's Peter writing to? Well, he's writing to the pilgrims that are scattered throughout Asia, right? They've been people that have been dispersed, that have been uh, taken away from their, their homes, from their businesses, from their social structures. They've been rejected because of their faith in Jesus, because they are Christians. So the world now has, by and large, turned on them the Roman Empire had begun to make it very hard for Christians to, to be Christians. And so people are being scattered. They've been rejected by people. But now Peter comes along and says, listen, you're coming to Jesus. He's a living stone. In other words, he's the one that you're going to find stability and strength in and you're going to find life in. And guess what? He too was rejected by men. You see, there might have been a lot of people thinking, hold on a second. This isn't what I signed up for. I thought by me putting my faith in Jesus, everything was just going to be, you know, raindrops and, or gumdrops and rainbows. That's what I'm trying to say, which I have no idea what I'm trying to say when I say that. But we think that everything's going to be just perfect now that we give our life to Jesus. He's going to make everything better. No more problems, right? That's oftentimes what people think. But here Peter says, listen, you guys might be questioning your faith having been rejected, having been now dispersed and undergoing persecution as they were in Peter's day. But Peter says, understand, Jesus went through that himself. You're not experiencing anything different than the very one that you're following has experienced himself. And the great thing is, is because Jesus has gone through these things, he can sympathize with us in our weakness as Hebrews 4 verse 12 tells us, or 4 verse 15 in Hebrews he can sympathize with us. He understands our frailty because he himself has gone through these things. And he comes alongside as that living stone now to provide life and strength and support for us here now. Listen, as believers, we're not exempt from trial and difficulty and hardship. Just because we, we commit our life to Jesus doesn't mean everything is going to go perfect. But here's why we commit our life to Jesus. Because it's only through him that we find life, salvation, forgiveness of sin, life eternal. And that's reason enough to endure through all the hardships as we follow our Savior who himself has been rejected indeed by men, as Peter writes. And even though Jesus was rejected, notice what we see here, that this was God's chosen vessel his chosen means for salvation for all notice he's rejected indeed 
by men, but he's chosen by God and he's precious. He's the very one that God has elected to provide salvation for all and to do so through the means of him even being rejected. In other words, God takes all those things that that people might try to throw at you to hinder the work of God. God takes and he uses it for his glory. Jesus is chosen and he's precious to him. I love that. So Jesus is chosen, precious God, because he's the very cornerstone, as we're going to see here coming up in a, in a few verses, the very one that everything else is, is essentially built upon now. I find life in him. But now, I love this. Look at what Peter says here in verse 5. But you also. You also. As we come to Jesus, the living stone, you also are living stones. Did you catch that? How cool is that? We're chosen by God now to be fitted together into a spiritual house. That's speaking of us as a church here. What we are being together right now is a spiritual house where we are being fitted together and built up together in Christ, who we're going to find out is the chief cornerstone, the one that we're all built upon, so that we can be supported, strengthened together, and ultimately honor and glorify him. Now, the people in Peter's day, they were no strangers to spiritual houses temple uh whether they were believers or pagans people were very familiar with a spiritual house whether it was a place where you would go and 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 offer sacrifices to a false god or whether it was a place that you go and offer sacrifices to the real and living true god there in jerusalem people were familiar with spiritual houses but these houses were built with lifeless stones inanimate objects but the work that god is doing he's building together through living stones living stones you and i together see this means that we need to work together and grow together and sometimes the person but to kind of rub up against you and to provide a little bit of smoothing out see that's what takes place oftentimes right as people are being fitted together, well, oftentimes there's some rough edges that we need kind of sanded down. And he's using that person next to you that you might think, why is this person here? Lord, this piece doesn't really fit. Can you remove that? That's kind of really bothering me a little bit. God say, no, that's there for a reason. That person's there for a purpose, all right? Yes, even you, Tony, that's right. Listen to what John Corson says, and I love the way he puts this here. He says this, the problem is, I try to get away from the blockhead I'm rubbing against. But because God puts us in fixes to fix us, he puts us with people and in situations he knows will shape us most effectively. So if I try to fix the fix God puts me in, he'll be faithful to put me in another fix to fix the fix he wanted to fix in the first place. <laughs> Listen, if we don't learn this, We'll go from fix to fix until we finally say, okay, Lord, I'm not going to try to fix this any longer or wiggle out of that because I'm going to embrace and accept where you have me because I know you're going to work on me, shaping me for eternity. This is what God does in our spiritual house, the church, as we gather together. Oh, you ever hear that from people? Oh, I'm not going to church. Those people just aren't very good and aren't very nice or they kind of rub me the wrong way. And God's saying, yeah. They're rubbing off some of those hard edges that you need sanded down. So don't run. Don't dismiss that. All right? You're being that blockhead to somebody else 
to sand down their rough edges. So take that with a grain of salt. But notice this here. I love that. Peter, Peter goes on to say, oh man, not only are you living stones, but what else? You are a holy priesthood. Holy moly. This is, this is incredible. Because the Jews hearing this at this time at Peter's writing, they would have been sitting there thinking, hold on a second, Peter, pump the brakes a little bit. What do you mean? You're writing to these believers, calling them a holy priesthood? Because the Jews would have recognized, hold on, only the people from the tribe of Levi are entitled to be priests. And not only that, but it was only reserved for those that were part of the family of Aaron to enter into the actual tabernacle or temple. And only one person could go into the Holy of Holies, the very place where God's presence was seen to dwell and manifested. Only one person, the high priest, could enter into the Holy of Holies. And then only one day of the year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So Peter's writing this and the Jews, I'm sure, were getting their backs up against, well, hold on, Peter. No, no, no. Only a certain few are entitled to be a priest. But, but now Peter says, yeah, guys, I got news for you. God, in and through Jesus Christ, has so radically altered the course of where that was on and under the new covenant has made all things new. To where we, as believers in Christ now, get to be brought in to be a holy priesthood. This is rich, this is great, because what this means is that we've been given access to God. Like I said, it was only the priesthood and the family of Aaron that could go into the temple and only one person could go into the Holy of Holies to see the very presence of God only one day of the year. But now we have been given access to God as a holy priesthood and invited in to experience the very presence of God. Guys, are you excited today about that? Do you know how incredible this is? This just blows me away. Makes my, my voice go super high. That's because I'm just so excited. Not because there's other issues going on. But Now, here's the great thing is that, or the, the, the neat thing is that, I mean, a lot of people could look at this and go, I don't know if I, can, if I can do that, a holy priesthood. I mean, I don't know if I can pull off that whole robe thing and all and the bells on the bottom and stuff. I don't know if that's me. I don't know if I can do that. Now, listen, we're not talking about doing something weird. I mean, when I preach this, you know, 15 years ago at church here. I mean, we had some real weirdos showing up the next Sunday, taking us to a whole different level than what was intended. So it was kind of just an odd thing that I had to really, I had to really, you know, deter people and say, listen, this is not what Peter's talking about here. But, you know, so listen, like I said, <laughs> Let's just leave that up for a few more minutes and just gaze upon that. What's more amazing than Randy wearing a robe like that is that Randy's actually smiling in a picture. That's what the real miracle is right there, everybody. That's the real miracle. Pretty good. Good picture, Randy, there. So, like I said, the, the amazing thing is the, is the privilege that we're granted that was only reserved for a select few. We have great privilege now in and through Jesus, through the new life, having come to the living stone, being made ourselves living stones, and now a holy priesthood. It's great privilege that we have an access to God, like I said here. Now, the main functions of the priest was to stand between God and between God's 
people. The word priest in Latin is the, the word pontifex. Let me bring that up here, which means bridge builder. It was the role of the priest, like I said, to represent men before God and to represent God before men. In the same way, we have that very responsibility now as a holy priesthood where we're to bring men, represent men, people before God, whether it be through prayer, but we're also called to bring God to people. We're called now as a holy priesthood to represent Jesus before those that were around and to share with people, say, hey, do you know about my Savior? Have I told you what Jesus has done for me and what he desires to do in your life, in salvation and forgiveness of sin, in making you a, a new creation? We get to represent God now to people and bring people to God. That's what we're called to do now as a holy priesthood. And it was also the function of the priests to offer up sacrifices to God. Now, in, in Old Testament times, of course, those sacrifices were significant for atonement of sin. A life had to be given up for sin to be covered. There are other offerings and sacrifices that are given, whether it be grain offering or meal offering, different things like that. But primarily, priests were there to, to bring sacrifices before God. Again, to stand in place of people before God. But now Christ, Jesus, has come to be the final sacrifice for us. And he's offered himself once for all for the sins of all. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27. Who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Do you see what it says there? He did this once for all, right? When he offered up himself. Jesus came and he was the final sacrifice. The one fits all sacrifice that anybody that wants to come to God must come through Jesus. He offered himself. So when Peter says there that we're to come and offer up spiritual sacrifices, we're not called to offer up sacrifices like we saw in the Old Testament times where we're bringing whatever we can to atone for sin. It's already done. Jesus is that final sacrifice. Our sins are now not just covered, but cleansed, removed, gone. No longer held against us by our faith in Jesus. So what kind of sacrifices are we to bring? Well, because we're now living stones built upon the living stones, we're to offer up these spiritual sacrifices. What are they? Well, I think the word points us to a few of them here. First of all, we see that we're to offer up ourselves. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So you're to present yourselves, everybody. We're to live our lives where we say, I'm no longer living my life for myself. God, my life is all yours because you paid the price to save me and to give me new life. So this life is dedicated, given, sacrificed to you for your glory. And notice what Paul says there, it's your reasonable service. This is not weird. This is not odd. This is not a chore. It's your reasonable service based on what God has done for you. That's why it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because he's given you mercy and grace and saved you. This is your reasonable service. So we offer ourselves. Secondly, we offer up the sacrifice of 
praise. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Psalm 107 verse 22 echoes that saying, Let them sacrifice the sacrifice of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. And then we're to offer up good works as a sacrifice to God. Hebrews 13 verse 16 goes on to say, but do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. We offer up good works. Listen, and again, I always need to, I think, give that disclaimer or, or um, you know, just kind of reaffirm this because we oftentimes fall back to this position thinking that it's our good works that save us. No, your, your good works mean nothing. They cannot save you. They cannot help you in any way. There's only one good work that can save you. And that's the work Jesus did on the cross by giving himself to save you. And it's through our faith in Jesus by which we're saved. That's the good work. But now here's the great thing. We're not saved by our good works, but we are saved to do good works. That's what Ephesians 2 verse 10 tells us. That word's workmanship. Created him for good works. We offer up good works as a sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice. It's a blessing. It's a privilege to come and serve the Lord and give these things to him. And then lastly, we offer up gifts or, or possessions. Paul spoke about this in Philippians when he was receiving just blessing from the church at Philippi here in what they were bringing to him. And he says this, Indeed, I have all in a bound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice that is well-pleasing to God. It's a sacrifice that's well-pleasing. When we offer up gifts or, or possessions and, and help one another serve the church through that. So, Peter continues now back in, in 1 Peter 2 in verse 6. He continues on saying, Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Interesting. So again, therefore, he's tying into what we've seen. We've talked about how this living stone was rejected indeed by men, very encouraging, hopefully comforting to his audience that were experiencing rejection in the world. But he continues on, on this thought, talking about now this. Show how this has always been the blueprint, that God has always had this plan for Jesus to come and to be this cornerstone. He's laying in Zion, a, notice this here, a chief cornerstone that is elect and precious to God. It's the chosen one. It's the means that God has always had set up, planned, foreordained before the foundation of the world for Jesus to come and give his life, but not just to sacrifice his life, but to be the chief cornerstone in our lives. Now, the cornerstone is the preeminent stone. It's the stone, the first stone that's laid, ultimately it's the stone by which everything else is built upon. It's the stone that aligns everything and brings uniformity. And guess what? That's what Jesus is for us. He comes and he brings us into alignment, into stability, right? 
And, and he brings us into uniformity in him. Everything is centered and, and kind of in place around that cornerstone. And those that set their life upon him, notice this here, will by no means be put to shame. I love that. Everyone who believes on Jesus here will by no means be put to shame, which again, for the people that Peter's writing to, do you think they've been feeling some shame as the world has kind of turned on them? Driven them away? Made them feel lesser than? I'm sure they've been feeling that. But Peter says, hey guys, hold on. Remember Jesus, he was rejected by men, but he's the chief cornerstone that all those who believe on him, you're not going to experience shame. Or you might encounter a hostile world, but guess what? In the end, Jesus wins. And you will stand victorious. You will not be experiencing shame. This is what Peter is reminding them of and comforting them in. You may be despised by the world, but when you put your trust in Jesus and build your life upon him, you are going to be safe and secure. So Peter's writing again and, and, and sharing these Old Testament verses. In verse 6, he's, he's um, sharing from Isaiah 28 verse 16 to show again that this is what God has foreordained and already established. All these things are laid out for the people right here in their scriptures, Right? In verse 7, he shows that when Jesus is received as his cornerstone, he is precious. Now, we're grateful for the fact that Jesus is our foundation. He's our support. He invites us in to experience life in him. But Peter uses a different word here for precious when he says to us, he is precious. Let me change the color here. He's precious to us, but it's different than what he refers to when God refers to Jesus as precious. Here in verse 6, The word there is honorable. Let me write that down here. Honorable. I don't know if I'm spelling that right. I think I took flack the first service. Because I didn't put a U in there, I think. Is that right? I I did the American way. Sorry. Any Americans? That was for you, Gary. All right. I saw a few of you Americans. See? I'm all about being exclusive here. Or inclusive, I should say. Not exclusive. Inclusive. I don't know what I am, actually. All right honorable yeah everybody's giving me a tough time on that so that's what god says when god says he's elect and precious he's he's honored he takes that preeminent place right but when peter says now that to you to you who believe right to you who believe he is precious he uses a different greek word and here it speaks of value or that jesus to us is i love this priceless You see, the people here have given up much that Peter's writing to. They've been shamed, they've been rejected, they've given up much. But when you come to Jesus with faith in him, he is precious. He is of greater value than anything else that you've had or given up. He is priceless. He is everything that you want and more. He is greater than anything else that you've experienced in this life. He is all that to you and more. I think of a Paul in Philippians 3 when he's writing, he's laying out kind of his credentials and the things that he's kind of been living for. All the things that he's built his life upon. And then he says, but you know what? All those things of my past, I consider as, remember what he says? Dung, right? Yeah, I didn't want to say it. I wanted you guys to say it, so I didn't have to say it. He considers all of that as rubbish. And what he really means is a big pile of dung. 
He says, all these things that my life has been consisting of and built around, all that next to the surpassing greatness of just knowing Jesus, all that is worthless. It's dung in comparison to the value that I have in Jesus now. That's what Paul would say. That's what Peter's wanting to remind us of today. That those of you that believe in Jesus, you're not going to be shamed, no. Instead, Jesus is going to be just precious. I know a lot of you are probably thinking of Golem right now, right? Lord of the Rings? Anyone? Okay, well now you are because I just reminded you of it, right? Okay. I'm not going to do an impersonation. Do it? Do it? No. I'm not. Listen, I do not bow to peer pressure, people. All right? I seek to please God and not men. Okay. Not going to do it. So, that's what Peter's pointing us to. That you have everything you need in Jesus. He's precious. He's of greater value than anything else you can build your life upon or, or bring into your life. But the fact remains that, sadly, not everyone is going to accept him. Peter quotes here from Psalm 118, verse 22, to show this. And we know that, that during the building of Solomon's temple, right, no tool or sound of a tool was to be used on the temple site. So what they would do is they would, they would form and cut away all the rocks there in a quarry, a rock quarry, away from the temple site, so that on the temple site there was just, you know, peace, right? Peace and just praise being offered up to God. But in the temple, in the, in the rock quarry, was where they were forming all the rocks. Now, they did some amazing they would cut, pre-cut all the rocks and send them to the, to the temple site so that every rock would just come in and be fit together perfectly. I think it's a great picture of what Jesus is doing. It's like we're kind of living through the rock quarry right now, right? Where Jesus, but what Jesus is doing is as he's cutting and chiseling away, he's making perfect stones that fit together perfectly in that spiritual house until we see him one day, Right? It's going to be great. But that's the picture here of Solomon's temple. Cutting away all these rocks. And, and oh boy, those of you that are coming to Israel. We're going to Israel in a couple of weeks here. It's great, right? Yeah, I know. Some of you are here and it's going to be great. And so we get to stand at the, at the temple mount. And we get to see these incredible rocks. How many people have been to Israel before? How many people have stood at the temple mount and you see these rocks? Where you get to walk through these rabbinical tunnels, you know, right along the temple mount. And when you see these, these ancient stones that some of them, there's this one that probably is as wide as the sanctuary is. And, and, huge, and you, you're thinking, how did they even do this? And move it from the rock quarry to the temple site? How, I can't believe it, but each one just fit in there. You can't even get a piece of paper through it. They just fit so perfectly together. I'm just getting excited to go to Israel. That's why I'm telling you that story because I just can't wait to, to be there. So I don't know if that has any relevance. But I think just a great picture of what Jesus is doing in our lives, right? Fitting us all together, doing that work, right? He's not giving up on you. He's continuing on to perfect that work of salvation in your life. So here's the thing. that A legend, legend has it. Tradition tells us that as they were cutting the stones in the rock quarry, they sent one of the stones over and the people at the temple site are seeing the stone going, wait a second, this doesn't fit with our, 
our plans. We don't, we don't see where this rock is supposed to go. This doesn't seem to line up with anything. And so they rejected it. They discarded it. They, they tossed it aside. And they keep building. And soon they discovered that they're missing a key piece. And they call back to the rock quarry. Where's that rock here that we need? We're, we haven't seen that yet. And the guys at the rock quarry look through their, all their plans. They go, wait, we sent that to you long ago. Suddenly they remembered this is the stone that they had rejected. They tossed away. They went and found it. And they realized this is what they've been looking for and it fit together perfectly there. And Jesus himself quoted this verse from Psalm 118 to show how when he came riding into Jerusalem after Palm Sunday, he used that verse to confront the religious leaders and show that they've been rejecting him. You see, Jesus didn't fit in with the plans and the structure of what these religious leaders were all about. They had formulized a a whole religion that was really separate from what God wanted. It was void of God and his word. It was all about them. And so when Jesus came, they're like, no, this doesn't fit in with what we've got set up here. And, and Jesus became the stone that the builders rejected. He became the one that they despised and tossed aside. And Jesus had to confront them on that. And so here's the thing, they, they stumbled over him and jesus to these religious leaders what happened he became a a rock of offense he became a stone of a, a stumbling there to them peter quotes from isaiah 8 verse 14 here in this verse now the reason that they stumbled was why because they were what disobedient to the word they had everything laid out for them of what to expect, of what was coming. That's why Peter's going through all these Old Testament verses, saying, you guys had it all before you. You were to be people of the word, you should have known, but you became disobedient to God and to his word. And now Jesus, who is to be the very rock in your life, the rock of stability and support and strength, has become a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense to you. Listen, this didn't happen because they were chosen to be the ones that rejected Jesus. As what God says, well, I need to have somebody that's going to be the bad guy in this story. So you're, you're the ones chosen to do this story. No, this wasn't an election. Some people think that, that, you know, in the election of God, he chooses some to be saved and he chooses some to be condemned. I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't believe that. I think God knows in his foreknowledge, as Peter alluded to in, in the first chapter, But listen, some people read this and they go, see, they were appointed to this. Do you see what we see there? They look at this and they go, they were appointed to do this. I don't believe that's what Peter's meaning here. You see, because they disobeyed the word, they were then appointed to stumble. It's because they disobeyed the word that they were appointed to stumble. They didn't stumble because they were appointed they were, uh, they disobeyed the word and so they were appointed to stumble. That's, that's the case. If you're not going to follow the word of God, God's very means to, to life and salvation, then what's the, the alternative? You're going to stumble. There's no other way to find life or stability apart from God's word. It's all right there for us. So that's why God's called us to take in his word. Desire like pure milk. Taste and see that the Lord is gracious. 
He's called us to come to him as to a living stone. He's called us as living stones to be fitted into a spiritual house. This is all speaking of life and life in him. That's his desire, so don't push it away. Don't reject it as these people did. Don't let him become a stumbling stone, but rather a stone of stability in your life. Because he's got nothing good in store, nothing but good in store for you guys today. God has nothing but good in store for you. Look at what we see next as we continue on. We've got to move through this, but there's some great verses here. We'll skip over that here. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. We'll, we'll end with these two verses here. Peter says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So like I said, why would anybody want to dismiss Jesus or, or push him aside? Because we've got nothing but good and, and privileges in store for us to those that believe in him. Notice what we see here. These are all terms that were used for Israel. They were to be a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, They were called to be his own special people. These are all terms that were reserved for Israel. Privileges that they were given. If they would do what? Obey. Thank you. If they would obey. But as we saw in our previous verse, they became disobedient to the word. And so Jesus became a stone of stumbling. This is all laid out for them here in Exodus 19, verse 5, beginning of verse 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Notice this, a special treasure. You shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Listen, those are all the terms that we just saw that Peter's alluding to, to us now who believe. Israel walked in in disobedience and unbelief. So God now has chosen the church as a new people to work through. Oh, listen. Listen to what I'm going to say here, okay? Because this is important. All right? Everybody with me still? All right? You're not at lunch yet in your mind? Okay. When I say that Jesus has chosen the church now to work through, that can get very much misconstrued and twisted, especially in this day that we live in. Because there are many that say, the church has replaced Israel. That Israel has forfeited all the promises and blessings of God and now that's all given to the church, that the church has replaced Israel. Listen, I do not believe that. I believe that is very heretical teaching from God's word, that that is not in God's word. I believe that God has set aside Israel right now because of unbelief. And when you read through Romans 9, 10, and 11, you'll see that laid out very clearly. Israel is temporarily blinded and God has grafted in the church. You and I, believers today, we're grafted in and we become recipients of the blessings, but God is not done with Israel yet. God is still gonna be working through Israel and there's coming a time when God is gonna remove the blinders from them and they're gonna see that Jesus is the one that they've been waiting for. The one that they rejected is indeed their Messiah and they're gonna turn to faith in Jesus and there's gonna be a great repentance and a great reconciliation among Israel in that day when Jesus comes back and many of them are turning now even, having their eyes open. Praise the Lord for that. 
But as the church today, we've been invited in now to receive and enjoy these incredible privileges that were once reserved for Israel. To where we are now, this chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, his own special people. This is amazing stuff for us here today. You weren't chosen because you were so good and perfect. This isn't something that God said, well, you know, I might as well include these guys because they're going to be upset if I don't because, I mean, they just think they deserve it. This is not the case. Notice the situation here. He called us, what? Out of darkness. You were in darkness. You might sit there and think, oh, no, not me. I mean, the, the person next to me, yes, I get that, but not me. No, we were all in darkness because of sin. We were separated from God. We were at enmity with God, Ephesians tells us. But God has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We were people that once had not obtained mercy, and we needed mercy, but now he's extended mercy to us. We've obtained mercy. Not because we were deserving, but because Jesus has paid the penalty for us to where God can now overlook our wrongs where our wrongs are covered through the sacrifice of jesus and replaced now with the righteousness of jesus where he can show us mercy this is the extreme privilege we have so we're to live now as a chosen generation a, a holy priesthood a, a holy nation that's set apart for god because we're his special people these are not burdens and duties for us here everybody these are sweet privileges that we are to enjoy these are not something we wake up saying oh i have to be this chosen generation today oh boy no this is a i get to be a chosen generation i get to be a royal priesthood i get to be a a holy nation a special person for god today we get to do these things and we're going to look at next week what we are called to do here more specifically, as we're called to be this witness, part of our purpose of salvation here. But I want you to see here what Paul writes in Ephesians, and we're going to close with this here, because Paul echoes so wonderfully what Peter's been conveying for us here in our text. Paul says in Ephesians 2, that at that time, you were without Christ. Again, you were in darkness. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was your state, everybody. You were without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You've been brought out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 2 verse 19. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, right? Looking at the privileges of Israel, but now you're fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the prophets, or apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the, oh, that's what Peter emphasizes, chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Oh, Paul echoes exactly what Peter's been conveying for us here. What privileges we have for us here today. I want to, just close here with looking at some things that we can be applying and and looking at 
and personalizing this a little bit more what we've seen i'm going to invite the worship team to come up we're going to close with a bit of time response but here's some things that we can be pondering through this time in what ways are you being fitted into the spiritual house are you bulking at resisting at the things going on around you or the people around you or are you allowing lord the lord to do that work whether it be in you or whether it be through you to another person how does being called the holy priesthood change the way that you want to live? Because think about the invitation and access to God now as a holy priesthood. What kind of spiritual sacrifices have you been offering to God? And lastly, believers are called a chosen generation and his own special people. How does that encourage you today? Just take some time and think about those things. How this word now can get applied even in a greater way into our own hearts and lives here this morning so let's stand together let's take some time to just respond to lord and to wait upon him in his presence as we lift up the name of jesus and thank him for what he's done and continue to worship him lord we're so grateful for all that you've done that you are our chief cornerstone you're our living stone and you've called us lord as living stones to come in be part of the spiritual house and God, you've called us with such an extreme privilege of being your people, a special people, a nation set apart for you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to live like it and to enjoy these privileges and access that we have with you, God. We're so blessed. So be glorified in and through our lives. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.